This episode of the EdUp Experience is brought to you by Google. It's such an honor to be partnered with Google here at the EdUp Experience, where we're able to bring you the brightest and most influential minds in higher education to the microphone to talk about all the issues you want to hear about, including access, technology, and what's going to happen in the future of higher education. Thank you to Google for your support. Welcome back, everybody. It's your time to add up on the EdUp Experience podcast, where we make education your business. Dr. Joe Salustio here with you again, just coming off of, uh, of recording live episodes at Lucian Live in Denver. I'm actually in Denver at my uh, in-law's house, uh, sitting in the kitchen table at my professional studios that I have um, put all over this kitchen table now. I've got a microphone, I've got my soundboard. What I have that is of distinct and immense value is my co-host today, his name, ladies and gentlemen, is Ryan Stowers. And every time Ryan Stowers comes on, of course, he's the executive director of the Coke Foundation. You know something's going to happen. Hold on tight. This is going to be a bumpy ride. Ryan, what's going on? It's great to be here, Joe. Thanks for having me again. <laughs> Ryan, I got to tell you something. Elvin and I were talking about you today, and you did exactly. Now, you know, we're, this is all part of the podcast now because people are getting to know you. Because, by the way, as, a, as much crap as I give you, Ryan, you have the sixth most or fifth most listened to uh, episode of the Edup Experience ever. All right. But I said, you know what? I'm going to hit this button for Ryan today that says bumpy ride and give him a lot of, of uh, you know, of crap up front. And he's going to go, hey, Joe, thanks for having me on the Edup Experience podcast. And that's exactly what you did. That's and I was like, did. no, he won't do that. He'll totally go, Joe, I don't like that button. But you were just like on point for me. Thank hey. you. No, you know me pretty well by now. It's so appreciative. And, and you got your Edup mug. I do. I wish I had it in here. It's in the kitchen, but I love it. Thank it you. Says very co-host much. on it because you're such yeah. a great co-host. We love having you here. And uh, you, you, um, you have a great relationship with the gentleman that we have here today with us. And I'm going to ask you to introduce him and do the honor. Yeah, no, I, I'm, I am honored to do so. Uh, joining us today is Michael Crow, Dr. Michael Crow. <laughs> president of Arizona State University and a, a dear friend and a mentor, I can say, of mine. So it's it's a real honor to have Michael. Hey, Ryan, it's really great to be here and to have an opportunity to uh, actually see Joe in the kitchen and you up in Utah, because we can see each other even though you're just hearing the voices. So it's just exciting to see everybody. Yeah, I'd like to tell everybody that we don't do a video portion, but it'll come out later. No, we don't. We really don't. So <laughs> we, we just we like to surprise you here on the Edup Experience. So, uh, Dr. Crow, uh, tell us all about ASU. What do you guys do? How do you do it? Level set for the audience. And let's just assume for a half a second there's somebody that hasn't heard of ASU before, even though that's not true. But we got to start somewhere. Yeah, we're, we're a, a big public university operating out of Metro Phoenix. We've got about 80,000, give or take, students on campus with us that uh, represent uh, every socioeconomic background uh, that we have in the country. Uh, it's completely representative of that diversity, which is a fantastic achievement by our faculty and staff. And then we've got another 80,000 plus students who are pursuing an education from that same faculty in online modalities. And then we have about um, a million other learners that are connected with us more than that actually uh, in other ways. And so what we've decided to do here at ASU is to build a, you know, a great, public research university with uh, you know, just under a billion dollars of uh, research activity, thousands, tens of thousands of people involved in that and make that same discovery oriented 
uh, a research grade university available to the broadest cross section of people that we possibly can. And the only way to do that is to innovate, innovate, innovate in all things. And so we're innovating across teaching and learning modalities. We're innovating across tools that enhance people's uh, uh, individual agency. We're, 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 we're working to advance the individual learner to personalize learning. So what we found is that the old model uh, works only uh, very, very well when you pre-select everyone for success. And so, and so we're, we're, we don't think that's a model for success for the country uh, more broadly. So we, what we've really done here at ASU is we have, uh, you know, while playing football and basketball and other sports in the Pac-12 and doing all the things that universities do and having, you know, 100,000 people a day on campus, we've decided, well, how can a university also be a force for social transformation, be a force for individualized learning outcomes? Uh, how can we move past college degrees being the only thing that we're engaged in? How can we also help people when they're... Uh, teaching their kids at home or they're, or they're changing jobs or they're moving into a new career or they're just thinking about big, deep things. How do we engage with uh, as many people as possible with all the, all the blessings, if you will, all the assets that we have here at the university? And so uh, we've restructured ASU to really take on that kind of national service psychology and national service mindset. So that's really what we're building here. Amazing. I want to ask you a question that maybe, maybe you've gotten this question before, but you know, um, there are many institutions now that, are, that especially post-pandemic, okay, wait a minute, we've got to double down in online learning. We're going to start a global division. We're going to create this new entity. Maybe they're a traditional university or they're steeped in tradition and now they're going to go online or they're going to create a separate division. There's so many ways to do it. And ASU has done it in a way where you're you haven't built a bolt-on online university. A lot of universities will separate that out, create a firewall, operate them completely independently, not share faculty. You guys, it sounds like, have a more integrated model. It's not like it's, I don't think ASU Global has its own OPE ID. I think it's a, a part of ASU. Is that correct? Yeah, we're, 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 quite, we're quite deliberate about that, about that difference. And so, so what we've decided is that we found a way to you know, capture the full energy and creativity of our faculty uh, they've become deeply committed to social transformation themselves. And so we didn't have to acquire a for-profit like some other schools have done. Right. We don't, we don't have a bolt-on like some other schools have done. So it's our faculty, our instructors, our, our teaching assistants, uh, our staff are designing and creating all of these highly technologically enhanced and highly technologically enabled learning platforms that allow us, you know, we, we're now teaching, for instance, online fully accredited engineering degrees for undergraduates, uh, one of the only places in the world doing that, biochemistry, astronomy, physics, philosophy, English, hundreds and hundreds of degree programs, thousands of courses, all designed by our faculty. And so we found a way to change the spirit of the faculty, to change the culture of the faculty, to want to be more than just a place, but to be also a force for uh, human agency empowerment. So, you know, the follow up question to that before I hand it to Ryan is how do you do this? Because, you know, higher ed is like literally built on levels of bureaucracy and committee and slowness and innovation barrier and so on and so on to do what you just described. It's not that easy. So yeah. Yeah. Give, give me the secret that nobody else knows here on the Adobe Experience podcast. Yeah, I mean, I, the, the secret is really that it's all at the end of the day about why do you exist? And so if you, if you exist because you're trying to educate only A-plus students coming out of high school, well, that's a mission. Okay, that's fine. That's not our mission. If you exist to have uh, uh, as deep an impact as you can across the, the totality of society, that's our mission. 
if you are willing to accept technology, which our faculty are, and to embrace it and evolve it, you know, that's what we do. And so we have a different culture. We have a different mission. We have a different purpose. And we would even argue that we've had too few differences among and between colleges and universities. We've had too much of the same thing replicated over and over and over. And what we need is more differentiation, more creativity, more innovation, more entrepreneurship, more ways of reaching out to learners, more ways of advancing individual agency. And so, and so all of that is um, really important to the way that we've been able to move forward. So the secret is to make sure that you, if I could summarize, crystallize your vision, crystallize your mission and make sure everybody's on board. Because if there's any confusion, it does become very difficult to move the needle. And then I would add one other thing to that, Joe. I would also say that it, it also means giving them the means, which in our case means innovations and new technologies and new learning tools and new learning mechanisms, giving them the means to take on this really more complicated assignment. Love it. Ryan, over to you. Yeah, I want to I want to continue on this this line of thought, Joe, because I think it's so important. And, and Michael, you nailed it. I, I think the the question about how you did it and or how you're doing it, it's not done. It's, right. That's one thing I've learned from you is it's 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 constantly evolving. And, and you yourself are a lifelong learner and you expect those around you to do the same. And I think that's, again, a part of the culture that you've you've instilled one story that you share that I think encapsulates for me the power of this culture change is your your uh, entry level algebra example yeah about about the difference between being exclusive and weeding people out versus right. being inclusive and your role uh, as a learning institution in society and I wondered if you could just share that well, the, the story, this, uh, thank, thank you for that, Ryan. So the story there is one of we have been using the way certain things are taught, like algebra or pre-calculus or calculus as a gating mechanism. And so, so let's say you, 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 need, you need entry-level algebra to be a successful psychology major, to be a successful biology major, you need it to be a successful engineering major, all kinds of things. So it's not just STEM, it's, it's a way of thinking. Algebra is really just basically a method to activate your brain in solving for unknowns. And it turns out that in the past, we used algebra in a, in a very ineffective way and it weeded out so many students who just needed a new way to learn algebra rather than to be weeded out. They were capable nice. of learning it. They weren't capable of learning it in the way it was being taught. So we built a new system. We used uh, computational tools. We used adaptive uh, learning technologies. We used systems to enhance individualized learning. And we developed a system in which we used to have half the students not master college algebra, and now we have only 10% not master college algebra. So we've changed all of those outcomes. Yes, I would whistle at that too. And so, and so, uh, and what that did for us then is that then enabled more kids to stay in college, more kids to stay on track. And it turns out that the gap was not their intelligence. The gap was the teaching methodology. The teaching methodology was too narrow. And so, and so we broadened and personalized the teaching methodology and that changed everything, which, by the way, means, for instance, for that reason and a few other reasons, you know, we've grown engineering in the last few years from 6,000 students to 27,000 students, uh, 18,000 on campus. So three times as many engineering students on campus because we found ways to overcome the math barrier. And now we're producing fantastically successful engineers because we personalized that, that learning process in that course that's so essential, but so, so poorly conceived of from a pedagogical perspective. We push the limits of science and technology.
That's right. That is, that is that is Michael's MO. So uh, with just one more question and then I'll kick it back to you, Joe, on, on, on these on this culture change. You know, in, in addition to just the way I characterize it is doing something that no one ever thought was possible, which is make a large state institution continue to excel um, on the research side and, and, and the, the innovation side, which is where everyone seems to focus. And at the same time, like you've described, completely transform the, you know, kind of flip the, the higher ed model on its head. But, but the other thing that you've done, and you mentioned this, you use the word individualization, this idea of the agent learner and the um, empowering learners to kind of map their own pathway. Can you, can you touch on that? Because I think this is the other part of, of um, not just talking about the way that you change, but the way you're expecting learners to change yeah. in their approach that I think is, is in some ways revolutionary. So, the, so the, weird, the weird thing is that universities are looked at as highly innovative because they have great researchers, great discoveries. They produce new technologies, new scientific things, and so forth and so on. And so that's only a piece of the equation. A lot of those universities that do a lot of that, and we're up there with them uh, on the highest possible level, they then pre-select everyone. And so everything's like hunky-dory for them because they've got all people already geared to learn in particular ways. Turns out most people don't learn in those particular ways. And that's, that's the shock of shocks. So then if you're now going to try to educate a quarter of the population or a third of the population up to a college level uh, of education, that means then that you have to have completely differentiated uh, ways of teaching and learning. And you need to innovate not only in science and technology, but in education and learning. And so we've really approached this from the perspective of how do we, how do we completely innovate everywhere that we possibly can, the learning processes themselves, the intellectual design, the pedagogical design, the learning tool design, the learning systems design, uh, all geared on the notion that, that many, many more people can be successful in college than are being now. We have half the people that go to college in the United States don't finish, they don't graduate. And so, and so we're, we're trying to show the way of how you build a university driven by research in learning, conducting research as a faculty, which graduates nearly everyone drawn from every family background, empowering the individual agency, as you mentioned, Ryan, you do that by creating technological tools that enhance the faculty culture way beyond anything that's ever been done in the past. So it used to be you'd gather a few people around a faculty member and that was your only method for moving forward. Well, that method doesn't actually scale at the level that we need to scale. So we're looking at scale across society, depth of diversity within society, performance with individual learners and all of this is empowered by our we have hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of partners and innovation methodologies in our learning spaces that are changing everything for us and so what we found is we found a way to move forward at scale at the university level of education 100 percent that's how much ryan agrees um <laughs> you know what you you said so much in there and you know this it's a, the you don't call it a flipped model but call it a realizing that there's some level of buying and selling in higher education there's a there's a the student is a consumer they can select literally from any institution in the world um why do they select the institution why do they select arizona state it's because they get a different level of service than they would get anywhere else it's because instead of saying you know what you're in this you know this happens all the time michael in, in higher ed you know what we don't know if that student's going to be successful in this course we just don't yeah. know if they're going to be successful instead of flipping that around to we're going to give you a chance and we 
as the institution are going to invest in all of the things that need to surround you to make you successful. There's learner centric and, and student student centric student concerned. One of the presidents yeah. we interviewed said there's a big difference between those two things. Well, so so we've we've become a student centric culture here. Uh, most universities are faculty centric cultures, uh, uh, and that's normal. I mean, the faculty believe that the university is for them when in fact the fact the university is for the student. And then so the so so in our in our way of thinking, then you know the student's success drawn from the broadest possible set of individual circumstances is the objective of the institution, the, the learner's success, the student's success. Everything that we've done has been to do that, but then to do that, we've also said we want those students to be then dealing with a, a uh, discovery-oriented creativity empowered faculty also. So we've built dozens and dozens of classes and hundreds of tools, as I mentioned earlier. And so all these things have been empowering us to empower the student as the individual to become the successful outcome of the institution. Hey, everybody, head over to www.edipexperience.com, our website, where you're going to find all of the episodes that we've recorded categorized so that you can ensure that you're spending your time listening to the podcasts that are most important to you. You're going to see the reviews of our podcast, the shows in our network, our partners, and a section on starter episodes. If you're new to the Edip experience, listen to those starter episodes and get a feel for how the podcast has evolved over time and our impact in the world www.edipexperience.com. Ryan. You know, the, this, 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 I think what you just outlined, Joe and Michael, I, I think this, the crux of the three of us are trying to, in our own way, help reform the system, help transform the system. And I'm, I'm playing catch up to the two of you, but, but we're trying to do it from a philanthropic standpoint and, and really to catalyze this kind of culture change that you just described. I, I think the way that you both just articulated it, I mean, we've got to fundamentally change the way that we all think and act about learning, and, and especially in this higher ed and, and post-secondary ed space. And like I said, you guys, are, you guys are doing that. Michael, from your perspective, I know you're on the road a lot. I know you're talking to other leaders. What, what are you seeing that's, that's catching on? Are we making progress in in turning heads and shifting the, the, the minds of, of those stakeholders and those audiences where we need to get those, where we need to get traction in order to drive the kind of change that we all hope to see. Yeah, I, I think we are. So we've been visited recently in the last two years by about 250 universities. Uh, we have 66 universities that we're working with in some kind of an innovation or design oriented project right now. We have networks of universities, uh, not just in the United States, but in Africa and other parts of the world that we're working with in terms of innovations. We have uh, a, a network of 12 universities in the University Innovation Alliance. We have 13 universities in Ghana that are in an alliance that we've built. We have uh, multiple ways that we're uh, advancing our innovations. We have the ASU GSV EdTech Summit, which was just held in San Diego yeah. a, few day, a few days ago. Yeah. And so uh, we had uh, 5,600. I'm sorry, Ryan gets excited. Sorry, Mike. We had 5,600 people come to that meeting and 11, physically 11,000 come in virtually. So what we're seeing is more and more innovations, more and more willingness to be adaptive. We're seeing uh, huge uh, upticks uh, on some of the tools that we're building. You know, we've got people looking at our, uh, our uh, methods of connecting learning across a person's entire life and individualizing learning. So we're seeing accelerated innovation and so forth. And the only place that we're seeing resistance 
in the academic world is, you know, a, it's a, a strong preference in many institutions to try to solve all their own problems. And when they, when they realize, yeah, when they realize that they don't have to do that, then they can jump on and, and we can work together and make things happen. So yes, Ryan, we're seeing, we're seeing accelerated innovation. We're seeing, you know, even these universities that have been buying the for-profits and attaching them like University of Massachusetts and uh, uh, University of Arizona, uh, Purdue University and others, they're doing that because they're trying to figure out how they can reach more people, engage more people and so forth. And so there's a huge wave of transformation uh, underway in the United States right now. It is faster to do that. I mean, come back to that that uh, conversation about models and organic growth. There's something to be said for organic growth. Um, going out and buying a for-profit and bolting it on, yeah, I, mean, I get that. And that that's the, there's a whole M&A space. And, but you guys have done this organically and you've created uh, an incredible, not that your brand, I mean, everybody knows who Arizona State was beforehand, but Arizona State Global became a massive institution on its own. And you did it organically and you did it through doing the right things. How do you stay at the front? I mean, because, yeah. you know. Uh... Yeah, well, in fact, one way, we, we, we don't even call it ASU Global just to avoid confusion. We just, we just call it ASU Online. And, yeah. and, 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 and we stay at the front by uh, partnering, 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 like with the Koch Foundation and others who have desires to be socially transformative. Uh, around individual agency and the success of the country built around new models of K-12, new models of universities making these things happen. So we buy into the crowd that is not satisfied with the present outcome of the country. Well, we're not satisfied. We got 20% high, uh, high school dropouts. We've, set, we've got half the kids going to college, not finishing. We've got low college graduation rates uh, in lower income communities. Well, all that has to be fixed. And, uh, and so the only way to fix that in our case is, and, and uh, Ryan uh, intimated this, is what we call continuous innovation. Our institution has had to transform itself into an institution in which innovation in teaching and learning is continuous. There is no mountaintop. There is no, this is the best that there ever will be. How could that ever be the case? So as computational technologies advance, as artificial intelligence advances, as systems advance, as learning sciences advance, as we understand plasticity in the young adolescent, early adult brain up to age 25, as we understand, for instance, in this, you know, we're teaching a biology course this semester in which a thousand students are taking their laboratory off the earth. And they're yeah, going there by virtual reality and they're learning. And so they're learning in completely new ways. And so, so that, that, by the way, is not the thing that we're building. That's the process that we've initiated. The process is that we have to make certain, for instance, in math and science, that every literate person that wants to be literate in math and science can easily become literate in math and science. How do we make it easy? How do we make it like learning English? You know, it's just, we all learned English and English is more complicated than math by a long shot. It's just taught in a different way. So for us, it's the process of continuous innovation. I love this point on on innovation. I, I also you you mentioned in, in a different way, you mentioned um, competition in that you know you're you're creating a model and then sharing what you're able to do with with numerous other universities, numerous other innovative leaders that are trying to to drive change at their own institutions. You also mentioned the ASU GSV and the groundswell, the bottom up of solutions that are that are being developed outside of the traditional space that will also drive competition and 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 help us you know help us transform in the ways that we're talking about 
The one other area that you and I have talked about before, Michael, that you've also put a lot of effort in, in is on the employer side. And, and the, the employers as a group of stakeholders, the signal that they can send back into the system to really drive change. Do you want to just comment on some of the, the partnerships you've, you've had there that I think have been meaningful and, and, and super productive? Yeah, so one and, thing and we decided- the workplace learning marketplace idea that's going on. Yeah. So one of the things that we decided is why should college be only for those that can, you know, stop out their early adult life and go away to a college and that's college. Well, what if you couldn't do that? What if you did that and you didn't finish? What if you were in the army in Afghanistan, um, 10 tours in Afghanistan, you come back and you're 26 years old. You're not going to go live in a dormitory as a freshman. Let's say you're, let's say you were in college and you dropped out and you're working at Starbucks. Uh, what do you do? So we, we have 21,000 Starbucks employees, they're called partners, who are our students enrolled in degree programs right now. We've graduated 7,500 of them. So once we got this project, and they, by the way, graduate with no cost and no debt uh, because they have a scholarship from us and a scholarship from their company. Yeah, and so, well, yeah exactly. So what we, what, we, what we decided was that this notion of going directly to the companies to help the companies to empower human capital development through their life so we started a company called Instride with uh, venture capital that's set up now headquartered in Los Angeles. We've got dozens of companies now that we've gone to. We're building new kinds of relationships with companies and learners. We have Adidas, we have Uber, we have Aramark, uh, we've got LabCorp, you know, we've got uh, and this, uh, uh, Medtronics, you know, all these companies that then we're building pathways for human capital development on the individual. And we're able to do this because we have these powerful technologically enhanced learning tools. And so what we found is that, you know, you've got 35 million people that went to college in the United States and never finished. I guarantee you 30 million of them are not happy about that. Yeah, uh, and, that's a good point. Yeah. And so we're trying to fix that. And we're also trying to, you know, I'm, I've been amazed lately, all this uh, concern about competition with China and so forth and so on. I'm like, I'm for all about beating China. And one way you beat them is to produce more and better college graduates that can produce the kinds of industries and outcomes and performances and so forth that we need in addition to everything else going on. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's our so, patriotic so yes. button. Yes. <laughs> so, you know, what we're able to do with these companies and with these corporations, including defense contractors and space corporations and all these guys and uh, 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 medical care organizations, we've got Rocky Mountain Health is one of our partners. Uh, you know, we've got hundreds of thousands of people now connected to us that would have been left out of this process of advanced learning uh, after high school, uh, except for these kinds of innovations and these tools. So we're very, very excited about this. I got to tell you guys, um, this is the part in the episode where we like to play, play a little game. It's my favorite part of the episode, Ryan's least favorite part of the episode. Here we go. This is another mini episode of Higher Ed Word Association with your contestants, Michael Crow and Ryan Stowers. This is where I give you a word and you tell me the thoughts and feel free to elaborate or it becomes a really quick episode. I give you a word and you give me the thoughts that come to your head, the, the, the feelings that come to your, your brain, your heart about the word that I give you. And I'm going to start with Michael because he's absolutely no idea what's going on. And sometimes I don't trust Ryan. Uh, no, Ryan, I trust you completely. Okay. Your first word, Michael Crow, Dr. Michael Crow elitism in higher education. Yeah, what's happened is that we decided not to actually complete the, uh, the revolution against the British. And we decided to still have institutions that are uh, uh, driven by elitism as their objective. So, so they don't see themselves as that way, but 
when your status is a function of the number of people that apply and the number of people that you don't admit, that's a form of, of elitist separation as opposed to, hey, we're running a great honors college over here. We don't have many seats available. There's going to be a lot of people that apply. And by the way, there's a lot of other great honors colleges out there, including at public universities and so forth and so on. So it is an unnecessary, egotistically driven concept that's unnecessary in higher education. It's just unnecessary. I, I will. Before I give you the word, Ryan, I'm going to say that higher ed has the great distinct failure of being one of the only industries that celebrates how many people they don't serve. And they actually will put out press releases in many instances. Can you imagine the Koch Foundation going, here's how many businesses that affect social impact positively. We did not invest in this fiscal year. I mean, it's ridiculous. It, it, it just Anyway, I'll get off my soapbox. Elitism in higher education, Ryan. It is ridiculous the the two concepts, I can't beat Michael and I won't try, but the two concepts that came to my mind are status quo and wasted potential. That says it all from, from my perspective. Okay, here we go. Number two, educational transformation. Yeah, Dr. so educa educational transformation is that we have to realize that it's the early 21st century, not the early 20th century. Uh, we, we, we are no longer benefiting from the historical models that were used in an agrarian and industrially evolving country, either in the design of the universities or the design of the K-12 system. So we need transformation driven by the acceptance of leadership as a functional thing that's needed in education. We need metrics uh, that measure the progress of uh, every single institution and every learner in every single institution. Uh, and, and we need... Um, uh, I guess what I would call uh, accelerated innovation clusters operating uh, in empowering and driving forward uh, educational uh, transformation. Just for the record, I did have this that was, I, I could have hit it, but- Cluster. You did say cluster, so I had the button. I just thought I'd hit it. But that, uh, that beautiful <laughs> woman's voice there, cluster. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, it's supposed to go when somebody's describing something really complicated. Cluster. And it, you know, that's when I hit it, but anyway. Well, there's, a, there's another concept of that word, yes. Yeah, that's right. Ryan, educational transformation. It's what we've got to do, and it starts with changing the way that we think and act about learning and fundamentally recognizing that every person has extraordinary potential. We need to get the barriers out of their way, and, and a part of that is a, a learning system that helps them discover who they are, then helps them gain knowledge and skills based on who they are and then helps them apply those knowledge and skills to make themselves better and, and, the, and, their, and those around them better. And, and that doesn't happen in, a, in an idea of a school where the desks are bolted to the floor and you sit there waiting to be fed information that you memorize nice. and, and we, we just can't move in that direction anymore. Amen. Okay. I feel like you guys are liking this. We're gonna give you a couple more, all right? Uh, Dr. Crow, we're gonna give you, <clears throat> we're gonna give you one, maybe a little bit of a curveball admissions requirements yeah admissions requirements you know uh you know you need to know how to swim to go to a swimming pool and dive into the deep end so that's an admissions requirement and so what you need are admission requirements that help people to be prepared for the task at hand uh when they can't make the admission requirements you teach them how to swim so that they can then make the admission requirements if they want to go into the deep end of the pool we've got to stop using admission requirements as a way of separating uh, people and then people classifying each other based on their attainment of these admission requirements. I mean, it's just it's just a terrible, terrible thing. And so uh, we, we started a new program called our Pathways Program. If you don't meet our admissions requirements, we have another way for you to earn your way in 
by doing fantastically well in four adaptive learning empowered, highly individualized uh, 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 courses, and you can earn your way into the institution. So there's different ways to be admitted and admission requirements shouldn't be just merely a, a test. They need to be basically a method or an approach. Mm, that's good. Ryan, I'm it's sorry, tough. you have to follow that's, that's that, buddy. To, I'm, that so, is I'm so sorry for you. No, admission I'm just gonna go ahead and hit this. You want me to hit it in advance of you speaking? No, they'll no, get, at least ahead. give me a shot. At least give all me right, a shot. Right. So no, admission requirements. <laughs> admission requirements, they've, they've got to change and they've got to change in the way that, that Michael's been describing where they could be a tool focused on inclusion rather than ex exclusivity. But I'll throw an additional part in this. And before anyone even faces admission requirements, if they will discover who they are and then have the ability to, to choose learning options or choose pathways based on who they are, then everything changes. And, and that's what I think that's the opportunity that's in front of us is to create a, a learning ecosystem where millions of learners can chart their own pathway and, uh, and then and then they're facing the admission requirements that they already know how to swim, as Michael said, because they're they're facing admission requirements at an institution chosen by them because of who they are and, and what their aptitudes are, what their strengths are, what their weaknesses are. Yeah, that, that's a that's a very that's a very good answer, because it, it really is. So so we have an honors college we run here called the Barrett Honors College, which has the same student profile as, let's say, Bowdoin College or Amherst College in terms of academic qualifications, only a lot more of them here. So we see that as a selected learning modality for people that wanna take you know, three majors or four majors and study in particular ways and so forth and so on. So people prepare themselves to be a part of that. And yes, there is a, an, an admissions requirement for that, but that's not an elitist separate thing. You know, They're still admitted to the university. Uh, they're still a part of the broader university community. Uh, and so it's, it's, it's this notion of, the right preparation for the learning pathway that you want to be on. Mm, good stuff. Love okay, that. Last one, Ryan, you got this one on your last episode, but it did bring up some interesting conversation. So I'm going to give it again. Now that we have Michael Crow here, non-traditional student, Dr. Crow. Well, that's a, that's a funny, funny concept. And so, and so I learned more in the last year than I probably learned in any previous year. I read probably more during the pandemic just out of my uh, belief that I need to really understand why we were having such a difficult time in the pandemic. Uh, and so I went back and read a lot more history about you know, where we came from and so forth and so on. So there is no non-traditional student. There's only this notion that everybody thinks that a college student is between 17 and 22 and a graduate student's between 22 and 28. Uh, false. And, and, and it is false, completely <laughs> false. And so, so what we need is we have a concept that we've used to replace that concept called universal learner. Uh, and a universal mm. learner is a person at any age. They might be a full-time college student. They might be a part-time college student. They might be, they might be uh, a member of the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, and they need to pick up a quick course on electrical theory or a quick course on uh, data management or something like that. And so what we're trying to say is there are no non-traditional students. There's only universal learners at various levels of need and various levels of intensity, and we need to be able to respond to all of them. Oh yeah, love it, Ryan. Non yeah, that one. That, I, I'm in full agreement. Loved. I was going to go lifelong learning. I actually like universal learner um, even That's better. Good. I like that too. I do too. I think it's the it's the way to go. And I, I I think we're I think we're onto something. We've got this these tailwinds behind us 
as a result of the pandemic and as a result of innovators like Michael and, and so many others, we need to rally and, and get, get on board with those tailwinds. And part of it is that this recognition that we're constantly learning and, and the today's economy and today's life uh, requires it in order to in order to enjoy life, in order to stay competitive, in order to stay relevant, you almost have to uh, be constantly learning. And this recognition that um, universities or learning institutions don't have a, a monopoly on learning. A lot of us learn as much or more when we work or as we raise our families or as we, and so how does, how do learning institutions figure out in, in, in the future to fit within that, that kind of um, ecosystem in a way that's empowering and additive to the, to the universal learning that, that Michael described that we're all kind of going through. I, I think that's the, that's the big question from my perspective. Well, you guys have done an incredible job. I have to tell you, we're going to have to go to the judges to see who won. Um, Michael, did, Michael won. did, did uh, Ryan uh, Stowers win? Judges? <laughs> uh, did Dr. Michael Crow win? Um, I would like to state that it's impossible for a guest host to win. Uh, but, you know, we have to at least ask the judges. It did, for their it did, it did seem rigged in some way, yes. Yeah, it did. Well, you know what? We can't do everything perfect here at the Ed Up Experience. Uh, thank you for participating, guys. All right, Ryan, back over to you if you have any more questions for Dr. Crow. Now, um, I think the, the last question I would throw out is we talked a lot about the barriers, the headwinds that we're facing, the, the resistance to change, but there's a lot of, I think, room for optimism. And you've been great at this, Michael. So if you could point to one thing that gives you hope, given all that we're working to, to try to, to shift and, and um, change. What, what is it? What would you point to? And don't, and don't say the Ed Up Experience podcast, even though that's no. what we know the answer is. <laughs> that, 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 go, that goes without saying, but, yeah, but thank the, you. Uh, you know, what I would say, uh, Ryan, is uh, we have about 140, 150,000 students enrolled in ASU this semester. We've never seen more energy, more drive. I mean, just on campus this Fire. semester, it has been unbelievable. The aspirations of the students, the drive of the students, the the you know the students that are learning you know triple majoring now and you know uh, taking two majors and three minors, four minors, learning languages—it's unbelievable. So what we're seeing is the jobs that they're going out for, the things that are happening. I mean, everything is everything's unbelievable. I mean, we we are we are so happy with the uh, the way things are going this semester, and the kids are just over the top. I mean, it's and so. To me, it's like it's like we spend so much time talking about the negative. We spend so much time in our society, you know, talking about some horrible thing that happened somewhere, as if no horrible thing has ever happened before. Uh, and the the thing that you're looking at today is the only time this horrible thing has ever happened. And we make no note whatsoever of all the great things that are happening. And so I'm just telling Such you, a great that, point. Yeah, the positive energy is unbelievable. Un even I felt it. It's unbelievable. Well, I, I see passion, literally auras of passion around you guys, which I love. And, and Dr. Crow, we like to end every one of our episodes with the same two questions to each guest. Number one, what did we not say about Arizona State University? Anything that you have going on? Obviously, ASU, GSV just happened. Anything well, what happened? I'll say is that uh, yeah. next week we're opening our Global Futures Laboratory. Inside that is a college of Global Futures. Inside that are four schools, the School of Sustainability, a school for the future of innovation and society, a school for complexity management, 
and a school for ocean futures. Now you get some sense that we're taking a different approach. So the approach we're taking to global climate change is, yep, we screwed up along the way. We need to think about doing things in a new way. How do we move things forward and build an economy and build success and build positive outcomes for everybody around all of this? So, so it's not doom and gloom, far from it. It's like, how do we now really move things forward? So I'm just letting you know that our innovativeness also goes into our intellectual design and our programmatic thrusts and the way that we're approaching things. What do you see as the future of higher education? Uh, the future is, uh, I don't know how we're going to keep up with demand. I mean, you know, I, I'd like to get up off the ground of a sort of a rural isolated planet in a corner of the Milky Way that has only a uh, per capita income on the planet of 5,000 bucks. You know, I'd, I'd like to get to the place where, where you know, we've really, we've really taken on poverty. We've really taken on disease. We've really taken on all these things. And back to Ryan's point, every individual potential has a very high probability of a unique outcome. Uh, and, 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 and then I, I think that higher education can continue to help facilitate all that and help all of that to move forward, particularly if it no longer just has college students, but is really reaching out to everybody uh, in different kinds of ways. And so I think the potential and the opportunity for higher education is unparalleled right now going forward. Wow. Well, I'd ask Ryan if you have anything left to give, but I already know your answer. I have none to give. Uh, well, we appreciate you so much, Ryan, uh, for, for coming here. Um, I'm going to make sure I outro you in the correct way. Ladies and gentlemen, my co-host today, you've heard him before. He is a force in higher ed. He is the executive director of the Koch Foundation. He's Ryan Stowers. Oh, uh, 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 yeah. Uh, Ryan, uh, you know the incorrect button I named Ryan, but I'm going to rename it. You're going to get the oh, yeah button from now on. Somebody else, Somebody else is going to get their own button. His name is Dr. Michael Crow. He is president of Arizona State University. He's an innovator. He's a transformational leader. Dr. Crow, did you have a good time on the Edup Experience podcast today? Very good, Joe. Had a great time. Nice to see you, Ryan. Nice to see you, Joe. Enjoyed it very much. Ladies too, and gentlemen, Michael. you've just edupped. This episode of the Edup Experience is brought to you by Google. It's such an honor to be partnered with Google here at the Edup Experience where we're able to bring you the brightest and most influential minds in higher education to the microphone to talk about all the issues you want to hear about, including access, technology, and what's going to happen in the future of higher education. Thank you to Google for your support.